The Sacramento Kings have begun holding pre-draft workouts ahead of the 2023 NBA draft and here to break down some of the names that the Kings have had here in Sacramento, plus other names to keep an eye on in this draft class. Bobby Gerald joins me right here on Locked on Kings. You are Locked on Kings, your daily Sacramento Kings podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is that time, time for another episode of Locked on Kings. Hello and welcome into Locked on Kings, your podcast hub for Sacramento Kings coverage all off seasons along. Today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked on NBA for $20 off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. My name is Matt George. I have the privilege of being your host here. I'm a Sacramento sports reporter and producer for ABC 10 News. And if you've listened to my off-season coverage of Sacramento Kings basketball uh, before, especially around draft time, you should be very familiar with Bobby Gerald. I have him on every single year. He, of course, is the son uh, of the legendary G-man, Gary Gerald, who's the radio broadcaster for the Sacramento Kings. Uh, but Bobby provides uh, so much phenomenal analysis for draft classes every year for G League talent. He just, he's so upset. I mean, his, his site is called Hoop Obsession and he really lives the name of that site. He's obsessed with basketball no matter where it is, no matter the level it's being played. So he has a very good idea of not just the bigger name prospects or even the top 60 or in this case, 58 prospects that you see in a mock draft. He has hundreds of prospects every single year uh, that he breaks down and keeps an eye on. Uh, so to have him on is always a real treat. It's always a real pleasure for me. I always enjoy talking to him. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. We talk about a lot uh, of different players, including uh, a handful that were here in Sacramento on Memorial Day for a pre-draft workout. So if you like any of the names that we discuss, if there's any uh, names in the future you would like myself and other draft analysts to discuss, feel free to send those to me. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at MattGeorgeSack. You can email me, MattGeorgeSports at gmail.com. Or if you're watching on YouTube, leave your thoughts in the YouTube comment section down below. But for now, please enjoy the, uh, the draft analysis wizardry, really, of Bobby Gerald. It is draft season. That means it is time to get Bobby Gerald back here on the Locked on Kings podcast when it comes to the draft, when it comes to uh, the, uh, the summer league, when it comes to G League coverage. There's no one really in the Sacramento area, really not too many people on the West Coast who understand Kings basketball, but have an understanding of the draft and the different prospects that are out there like Bobby Gerald. So Bobby, it's always a pleasure to have you here. Uh, on Locked on Kings, my friend. Uh, welcome back in. I know it's not a typical position that we see the Kings in outside of the lottery, but still exciting nonetheless. Absolutely. It's always, uh, you know, I get excited around uh, NBA draft time. This is a little bit like my Christmas. So um, definitely looking forward to it. And and we'll find out, you know, what they're going to do at pick number 24 and then a couple of picks in the second round. And uh, I think there's a chance there'll be some good players there for them. Well, like I said, one of the main reasons why I love having you on is because you understand very well where the Sacramento Kings are at. Like a lot of draft analysts out there will just kind of pick the 24th best player on their board, but sometimes fit matters a lot and not just best talent available. Uh, so we're going to dive into that. But I wanted to ask you kind of a broad question first about this draft class as a whole. We know about the very, very top, right? The, the sensational star power at the very, very top. But when you look at this draft class, 
whether it's the lottery, just outside the lottery, whatever, do you think it's a strong class, just a standard class, maybe a little weak? Like, how do you view this 2023 class? I think it's really strong at the top. And um, there are some seniors that I like that that I think give it a little bit of depth uh, later on, still kind of anxiously awaiting. And we should probably, I don't know when this is actually going to hit the air uh, for your listeners and viewers, um, but today is the last day for college players to uh, return to school or stay in the draft. And um, I think the biggest news so far that I've seen today was a dim bona from UCLA is going to go back to school. Um, a couple other, you know, ancillary guys, um, but I haven't heard any news on Zach Eady yet. So I'm still kind of waiting to see, you know, how much it'll thin out as guys return to college and return to college is a, is a different option than it used to be. Right. Because now you can get that NIL money and uh, it's, it's not like a, an all or nothing proposition. Now, you know, there's, there are guys that have a safety net to fall back on. So I think that may play into um, the decision for a lot of these players. Uh, and we may see more of them return to college because of the NIL than we would usually see. I'm a fan of older prospects. I like more NBA-ready prospects coming in, especially for the Kings this year when they're trying to build upon what they did last sure. year and are trying to win right away. What's your general opinion on older prospects versus drafting an 18-year-old that you could, in theory, have 20 years of control over, maybe a little less than that? I think for 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 me, it comes down to, you know, what's their what's their skill set? How how close are they? You know, the for the younger players, um, you know, there are some 18 year olds that are pretty far off. I mean, if you're shooting somewhere in the mid 20s from three point range and you're a guy who turns it over more than more than you assist it, um, I'm a little more skeptical and it's harder for me. You know, I think in a lot of cases and I've used this term before, um, there's a little bit of a captain save a prospect. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. uh, that goes on in the NBA where guys and coaches and, and NBA personnel think, man, this guy's, you know, he's he's got all the natural gifts. And I think if we coach him up, um, we can make something of him. And sometimes these guys are just too far away uh, to, to ever get there. Now you don't see that as much with some of the older prospects. And so, you know, there's kind of that give and take the yin and yang of whether or not, uh, you, you know, you want to go with an older guy, like a trace Jackson Davis, who is really skilled, can score down on the box, uh, can pass out of a double team. Um, there are a lot of things to like about him, or do you take a swing on someone like, let's just throw out a, a Derek Whitehead, uh, from North Carolina who showed he could really shoot the ball and has NBA athleticism, but didn't quite produce up to the level that I think many expected for him to produce in his freshman season. So um, it's a, it's a definite balancing act. And of course, as you know, Matt, we're talking about, you know, 19 year old kids, 22 year old kids. Um, you know, I don't know what your background was like at 19 or 22, <laughs> but I, I'm still blown away by some of the things, these guys that are in the NBA that are that young, are able to do and put up with. And um, I give them a lot of credit because uh, it's not easy. I mean, the scrutiny is always there. Well, I know the Kings in the past have drafted young players, 18, 19, 20 year olds. And because they were struggling so much, almost put a label of, of, of savior on their shoulders, right? Uh -huh. You're going to come in and help change this franchise, bring this sure. franchise back to the light. And Unfortunately, for the most part, a lot of young prospects aren't able to live up to that. The Kings are in a unique position now because it's easy to make an argument for why they should get a more older NBA-ready prospect to plug and play. But at the same time, now that they have an established kind of core, an established system, good development, good coaching staff in place, 
Is now the right time maybe for the Kings to draft a younger player and stash him in the G League or take the time to develop him, even if he's not going to help their immediate goals? I think, you know, it, it may depend on what you really know about is Sasha Vashenkov coming over. Mm. Um, if he is, then maybe that gives you a little more wiggle room to take a bigger swing, um, you know, because you're going to get someone who's a, a, a veteran professional player. Um, you know, and then it depends on free agency too. You know, what, what if you could add, and I'm just throwing this out here. What if you could add a Cameron Johnson or someone like that, then maybe that again, loosens you up a little bit to take a bigger swing on someone that you think maybe in five years, um, could be better than some of those seniors are today. So it's interesting, you know, we've definitely seen a shift over the years of how many players that are seniors get drafted in the first round. Uh, if you go back and look at uh, some of the past drafts, um, you know, um, in in this draft, actually, you know, a guy like Trace Jackson Davis, to me, grades out as a first rounder. No, there's no question about it in my mind. But will they hold his age against him? And will he be one of those guys that actually slips to early in the second round then because he's a little bit older than than some of the other prospects? So, um, you know, those are questions that Monty McNair, Wes Wilcox uh, will have to answer. And and uh, I have a lot of faith in those those two guys. I mean, they, they've done a really good job over the years uh, in, in the short time that they've been here. Their track record with drafting people, you know, aside from Robert Woodard and, and uh, Jemias Ramsey didn't really work out. But I mean, how many second round picks do work out? And I think those were two bigger swings uh, on both of those players. Um, so maybe they learn something from that and maybe they go a little bit more uh, conservative. So, I mean, you're around the team all the time, too. What, what do you think about this? I mean, I, I personally, I mean, I, I this is a unique and fun position to be in, right? A, a pick that doesn't have a lot of pressure on it that you theoretically could have options to help the team right away. Or I, it was a um, another draft analyst that works for Locked On that presented to me like the idea that this might be the right time for the Kings tr- finally to take a developmental project. And I never really thought about that because mm-hmm. I'm thinking about contributions and immediate like finding someone who I'm not afraid to draft an older prospect because they theoretically match the age timeline of basically the rest of the entire core. Right. So right. I've always kind of leaned in that direction. And there are some names in that range that I think Monty's going to take a, a good look at. But I'm at the same boat that you're in. Like Monty has earned the trust and the faith, I think, of everybody. I just don't think we're going to have a situation like last year where Monty after drafting Keegan Murray came to the table or came to the podium and said, yeah, it was a unanimous decision in our, in our boardroom or in our draft room to take this guy. I think there's going to be different opinions, which probably is a good thing. Yeah. You know, you look at, uh, say the Pacers a couple of years ago with Chris Duarte, he was someone who I gave a first round grade to now things haven't really exactly worked out for him in the NBA so far. He's still kind of trying to, to find his way. So, um, you know, you, you, you see that versus, you know, the risk of maybe drafting someone who is a little bit younger. And there certainly should be a couple of guys, you know, around that spot at 24. Um, A guy like Gigi Jackson from uh, South Carolina, who, I mean, his numbers are awful, just pathetic, terrible, horrible. If you looked at, you know, if you looked at his numbers, you would be like, this guy's going to be a first round draft pick. But then when you get eyes on him and see what he's, what he's capable of doing potentially, um, then maybe you start to rethink some of that stuff, uh, you know, and maybe you think, okay, here's a guy who might be worth one of those massive swings. Um, so it's as Jeff Petrie used to say, you know, it's the beauty's in the eye of the beholder. And, uh, you know, you, 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 as Jerry West would say, you kind of need to know what you know and like who you like. 
And that's kind of where I fall at the end of the day. I want a guy who can play, um, you know, who's who's already, you know, I think chemistry is a, a big part of the of the situation here, too. Um, you know, you want guys that for me can shoot the three um, that share the ball, that are good teammates that that are, you know, at pick 24. Let's be realistic. We're you're not getting somebody who's going to come in here and be a high usage guy. You're getting someone who's going to be a blender, um, you know, can connect and and try to fit in in that way you know kind of get in where you can fit in uh versus someone who's going to come in and be ball dominant um but there are definitely some interesting prospects around there you know uh, a guy like Turquavion Smith um is another kid that that I see something special in in his ability to uh create baskets but his numbers really haven't been that good either but you know if you squint in your eyes you could see him be like a minor league version of De'Aaron um so he can really create for himself and really get to the basket now how much he develops will be you know remain to be seen like I said at the top of the show, today's episode of the Locked on Kings podcast is brought to you by Game Time. Buying tickets to your favorite sporting event or concert or theater show, whatever it may be, it should not be stressful, especially when you're buying tickets at the last minute. Now, I know when, when some big show comes out or when there's a big game, people want to jump and try and get their ticket ahead of time and secure uh, the, the, the best uh, seat that they possibly can and know that they're going to go. but Oftentimes, that means you're jumping on the most expensive prices. Well, what Game Time does is Game Time actually rewards you for getting those tickets last minute, finding those last minute deals. Game Time provides flash deals on last minute tickets with prices that can't be beat. For example, I got last minute tickets to go see a Giants game when I was in San Francisco covering the Kings and Warriors series. Got like thirty dollar tickets uh, to sit like twenty rows up from the field by the uh, the Giants dugout. Just an incredible deal. And normally those tickets are, are like sixty bucks. So I got like a fifty percent off just for buying my tickets the last minute. That's just an example of how uh, I've taken advantage of it, but they have these deals for all the different events uh, that you could uh, look for. And they have a game time guarantee, which means you always get the best price. So if you find tickets in the same section or row for less game time, will credit you 110% of the difference. Download the game time app, create an account and use code locked on NBA for $20 off your first purchase terms apply again, create an account, redeem code locked on NBA for $20 off download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. You've already brought up a couple of times uh, Trace Jackson Davis. He was uh, amongst a group of players that came into Sacramento on Memorial Day for a pre-draft workout. The other main headliner, in addition to Trace, uh, was was Jalen Wilson. We'll focus on those two. Uh, what do you think about those two as prospects and and uh, the interest that the Sacramento Kings should have in them? I like Trace Jackson Davis. I, you know, I was a fan um, all season long. Uh, really enjoyed watching him. Have watched him, you know, over the past couple of years. 20.9 points per game this year, 10.8 rebounds. Uh, but the big number and where he's improved the most, I think, was the four assists. So you're looking at a guy that, uh, you know, I think can come in, um, give the Kings some production behind Domas uh, at the center position, even though he's small. Uh, Trace Jackson Davis didn't shoot the three ball at all in in college. So I don't think it's I don't think you can expect him even with some improvement or even if he wants to to just come in and, and suddenly become a three point shooter. So I think he is what he is. He's a, he's a little bit of a small post, but he's a determined small post and he has, you know, great ability to spin right or left and he can make step backs. He can he can bully people. He seals well. Um 
he required a double team in college. And when they did double team him, he was able to find cutters very easily. So I like Trace Jackson Davis quite a bit. I think he'd be a good fit actually with the Sacramento Kings um, as someone who could come in. I think he'd be an upgrade at the backup center position, um, you know, if he could come uh, from Indiana. So he's definitely somebody that I would have my eye on. What about Jalen Wilson a little bit? The uh, What I like about both these players is that they're wings. And I mean, you can never have enough wing depth, especially in Sacramento where they've historically struggled like at that position or with that small forward power forward kind of um those positions but to me um i don't know if the 24th pick or this range is you can get away a little more with picking for need and and positional uh fit versus just trying to take the best talent that falls into your lap at that lap at that spot so kind of a two-part question a little bit about jalen wilson and your thoughts of how you should approach the late first round yeah, and I and I would I would also say that in in my estimation, Trace Jackson Davis probably not gonna be a wing in in the NBA. I think he's I think he's gonna be a small big. Okay, and you know and that doesn't mean that he can't get down and guard some some fours, but because he doesn't shoot the three ball at all, I don't think you're gonna throw him out there on the wing as a as a three or a four, um, unless all of a sudden you've got. Carl Anthony Towns on your team or something, you know, some center that can really shoot threes. Sure. So that, you know, that's just my take on Trace Jackson Davis. Jalen Wilson, I'm a little more skeptical of. Uh, he he had a great season this year, but I've also known over the years that forwards in Bill Self's uh, lineups can really shine because of the system he runs. You know, they, they make it a point to really – force feed the post and the mid post. And um, he had high usage and did a lot of things just because he was the senior and kind of the alpha dog on that team. I'm not sure that's going to translate to the NBA. So for me, Jalen Wilson is a little bit lower. I think he's more of a, probably a second round guy, even though he had really good numbers. He has first, first round numbers probably this year, but that's just where I'm at on, on Jalen Wilson. I think you have to discount a little bit, um, that he played for Kansas and that Bill Self loves to force feed his forwards. If you go back over the years and I can go all the way back to Drew Gooden, um, you know, they, he, those, the guys who play in that position get the ball a lot. And that's like option number one for Kansas. They're going to come down, they're going to throw it into the paint and see if they can get a little paint touch and, and see what can happen down there. And that's where Jalen Wilson uh, really got off to me this year. So I, I'm definitely more trace Jackson Davis than Jalen Wilson. I'm going to give you my very early kind of top three that realistic, semi-realistic I liked at that 24 range and feel free to pick it apart, focus on one out of the three. Now, two out of the three of them, it's it's pretty likely they're not even going to be there. The, the three that I have is Derek Lively out of Duke, mm-hmm. Chris Murray for obvious reasons, mm-hmm. uh, and then Maxwell Lewis. So those were the three that I kind of liked and I've had conversations about all of them with different analysts kind of around that 24 range. Again, there's a very good chance that Murray and especially Derek Lively aren't going to be there. Um, but what do you think about those three prospects and the interest maybe Sacramento should or shouldn't have in them? I like um, Chris Murray the best out of those three. Um, you know, if it, if it were up to me, um, you know, the twin brother of, of Keegan, um, the first thing that any fan would notice if you haven't watched Chris play is that he shoots left-handed. Otherwise yeah. uh, he looks just like Keegan. He can <laughs> score in just about every uh, way imaginable. He, you know, he cuts, he catches, 
He finishes. He can hit deep shots. He can score in the post. He's graceful in transition. Um, I just think he's a. I, I think he's a good player. He's a little bit lighter on his feet, I believe, even than his twin brother Keegan. So, um, for my taste, it would definitely be um, Chris Murray, the favorite out of out of those guys. Derek Lively is very intriguing because um, he led the ACC. In box score plus minus as a freshman, that's something you just don't see. Uh, is a great defender, um, but offensively pretty pedestrian. Um, you know, regardless of whatever videos you've seen lately of him hitting threes <laughs> um, with you know nobody guarding him in an open gym. I mean, come on, you know, I just it it's difficult for me sometimes with all the hype leading up to the draft. Um, you just have to really tell yourself, don't get caught up in some of these one-on-one -on -one workouts and what you see. I remember a couple of years ago, I gave Kai Jones a big bump after watching his pro day and thinking, man, this guy's so athletic and there's things that he can do that, that others just can't do. And, and that just hasn't worked out so far. Um, so, you know, you, you learn lessons. There are, um, there's guys I went to high school with that are in their fifties right now that could stand out of the three point line and make threes the way Derek Lively was doing on his, you know, it's different in, in an NBA game situation, you know, you get it splits, you know, you know how fast everything is. And, mm -hmm. and so you've got to be able to really get it off in a game situation. I'm not sure that I buy the offense with lively. I think the defense though is, is definitely for real. Um, I think his shooting limitations are a little bit hard to to overcome. You know, I, I would go back. I don't like to do comparisons, but I would go back to, say, Mo Bamba um, a few years ago. To me, Mo Bamba was a better shot blocker and a better offensive player, and Mo still hasn't found his way hmm. in the NBA. So just a little bit of trepidation there with Derek Lively, but I also do think his defense is really real. Uh, he reminds me a little bit of the Jared Allen situation from 2017 when Jared Allen didn't really have great numbers either. It wasn't much on offense, but you could definitely see the obvious athletic gifts and ability to protect the rim. And he went on to become an all-star. So uh, Derek Lively's a little bit more polarizing to me, but right now uh, it would be Murray, then Derek Lively for me. And who is the third one you were asking about? Uh, Maxwell Lewis out of Pepperdine. Okay. Yeah. Maxwell Lewis from Pepperdine. I'm not there with Maxwell Lewis uh, from Pepperdine. I, I'm sorry that'll disappoint um, our guy Doug Christie, um, <laughs> you know who's a, who's a Pepperdine grad. But um, you know I watch Maxwell. He's got great length, um, seven foot wingspan. He averaged 17 points and 5.7 rebounds, 34 uh, percent from deep, which is under the league average, but it's acceptable. Um, does a good job putting pressure on opposing defenses. He can get to the free throw line because he's he's really shifty and he, he can handle the ball and and uh, he can score off cuts. Thought his best trait was probably his uh, catch and shoot ability. Um, but at the NBA draft combine, his three quarter court sprint time was was really poor. Uh, tested as one of the slower guys in the draft, and he was really loose with the ball. Matt, uh, if you watched him at Pepperdine. Uh, he led the West Coast Conference in turnovers. Mm -hmm. um, their team was awful. Mm -hmm. I mean, just pathetic. And and really, they had some talent on that team, too. So it was kind of hard to figure why they lost so much. Um, but I think, you know, he's probably going to get drafted late in round one. I think 
at his best, he's a backup in the NBA and he'd have to really dramatically improve his passing skills and his feel on offense, uh, you know, to, for me to, to get him up into, you know, a first round position. So not quite as high on Maxwell Lewis, although I do see the, you know, the, the shake ability, he's got it. I mean, he can, he can dance with the ball and do all that kind of stuff. But again, that that's mostly for, you know, a high usage guy who's the alpha dog of a team. And he may be that at Pepperdine, but he's not going to be that in the NBA. So so for me, easily Chris Murray, um, intrigued by Lively and a pretty hard pass for me on Maxwell Lewis. We've had conversations in the past and you've identified kind of some sleepers or some players to keep your eye on that have ended up turning out to be not just superstars, but like good, solid NBA players. Are there any players, whether it's first round, second round, just talent that you really like that you haven't seen people talk about too much or you think, hey, four or five years down the road when every publication is doing a redraft, this guy's going to be way up there compared to where he's taken. There's a couple of guys that uh, are certainly intriguing. I think uh, Brandon Pajemski from Santa Clara is one of those guys that I, it's it's a little bit hard to gauge if if his athleticism and um, ability is going to translate to the NBA. He tested pretty well at the combine and certainly had a good college career. Um, seems to be rising on a lot of people's draft boards. So I would think. He's someone um, to keep an eye on 6'5", 200 pounds, a sophomore um, who I think is is getting better. Um, I'm intrigued by Noah Clowney uh, from Alabama. He's someone that I think could be there uh, possibly at 24 for the Kings. I rate him a lot higher. Uh, he's a 6'10", 210-pound uh, um, low percentage shooter at this point, 28%, um, from the three point line. And that's the scary part. Um, but when you look at him and you see his makes, his makes look good. So it doesn't look like he has a, a broken shot. I think he'll be selected late in round one. And I think he's someone who has a chance, um, you know, if everything cracks right for him, um, to be a, a pretty good NBA player down the line. Lastly, Bobby, kind of stepping away from the draft a little bit, there are questions about Keon Ellis and uh, Nemeas Keita, who both had really good seasons uh, with the, uh, the the Stockton Kings, especially questions about Keita. He's been a two-way player for two straight years. The Kings need center depth. One of the reasons why I like Derek Lively so much is theoretically how he can protect the rim, which the Kings sure. don't really have. Sure. Keita, in theory, should be able to do that, did that at a very high level in the G League, but of course, G League NBA uh, is very different. Just putting yourself into the mind of, of the Sacramento Kings front office, Monty McNair, or just your reading your own opinion do you think the two of those guys or one of the two of those guys should be on the king's radar to to bring back and potentially have a chance to crack that main roster i i really like keon ellis because of his defensive ability on the wing and he and he showed in summer league that he could hit threes um i just have i was a fan last year uh coming into the draft he was my favorite defensive um guard in the draft last year. So I, I really like him. Kata, I'm a little more still just on the fence on. I I could see it, but I also think they could be better at the backup center. I really do. Um, whether that's Trace Jackson Davis, if Zach Eady sticks around, uh, he'd be someone I would consider. He's just such a massive human being. Um, his standing reach is ridiculous. And he got in better shape. You know, I think some some people watch Zach Eady from Purdue in his first couple of years. 
and maybe thought, okay, this is a guy who uh, is just going to be too slow and uh, and and just not, you know, an NBA caliber athlete. But I think he, as he got himself in better shape, uh, lost some of his his baby fat and body fat, um, he became a, just a little bit more reasonable to think that he could get it done in the NBA. Um, super efficient in college. I mean, obviously won a bunch of awards as a college player of the year. Um, I'm very intrigued by him and what his decision may or may not be to, to stay or go. Um, so I, I, it, you know, I think definitely Edie is, you know, would be a big upgrade. Um, you know, and anyone who watched Alex Lynn or Kate to play in college versus what Zach Edie did, you would have to say Zach Edie is the, the far superior player. So, um, that's kind of where I'm at on, on Kata. I like him. But I also like him in kind of that backup center, third center, G League center type type vibe. Bobby, you're phenomenal at what you do, my friend. I look forward to talking to you every single year around this time. It'll be great to have you back on after the draft and we can kind of break down what the Kings do. And then, of course, get ready for the California Classic and the G League where there are rosters of guys that we know nothing about, but Bobby knows everything <laughs> about. I don't so. know about everything, but... I am trying to, you know, I, I'm adding stuff every day. If people want to catch up, it's a hoopobsession.com. Um, and I add content pretty much every day here leading up to the draft. Quick read capsules on players. I can get you in and out of there in just a couple of minutes. If, you know, if you, if you're curious about a, a certain player, um, I'm adding some of them, not every, not everybody has a link right now. Um, but if you click on say number 41, Tumani Kamara, who's someone I, I kind of like out of uh, out of Dayton as a second round pick as a, as a stretch four. Um, you know, I've got a few paragraphs about there. Give you a little thought uh, about you know kind of what I foresee as his NBA future, and um, it goes on and on from there. And we we try to rank 155 of them, so it's uh, it, it gets deep. Now, keep in mind though, there's only this year there's 58 draft picks because uh, you know there's usually 60, but there's a couple of penalties involved, so there's only 58. Last year, there were 28 free agents that were undrafted that made it. So 58 and 28, that's 86 to me. So yeah, that's kind of that magic number. There'd probably be about 85 or 86 of these guys that are going to find their way into the NBA. And Matt, in five years, there'll be about 20 of them left. Because that's oh, about how it works. It's about finding the uh, the needle in the haystack. And Bobby, you found a, well, let's say diamond in the haystack. And you found a few diamonds over the course of uh, your career. So that's why I love you so much, my friend. Thank you for doing this. And uh, can't wait to have you back on again soon. Thank you, Matt. Keep up the great work. Big thank you to Bobby for joining me here on Locked on Kings. I hope you enjoyed his analysis. I really appreciate uh, just the work that he puts in and love talking to him every single year. Definitely going to have him back on after the Sacramento Kings. Uh, assuming they make a pick at 24, would love to have him back on uh, to, to break that down and discuss that uh, next month. But again, if there are any prospects that you like that we discussed, you want to share your opinion on, on what you think of those guys, any guys you want to throw into the hat, send those to me. Uh, and uh, continue to stick around because I have more draft uh, breakdowns coming over the course of this week. Uh, if you missed my conversation with Robert Ori, Sacramento Kings villain Robert Ori, I did a one-on-one -on -one interview with him. That's on yesterday's Locked on Kings podcast. Go and check that out. And I have another Kings villains podcast. No major uh, special guest. Um, although I will have Jason Jones from The Athletic, formerly of the Sacramento Bee. Jason Jones is, of course, a Laker fan. So if he's a villain of Sacramento Kings media, he's the perfect guy to talk about Kings villains uh, over uh, Sacramento's history. So we're going to do a fun pod about that to take a 
break from draft coverage later on this week, uh, but I have more draft coverage coming for you uh, as we get closer and closer to draft day. So I hope you'll continue to stick around with me here on Locked on Kings. Appreciate your support as always. Can't wait to have you join me on the next episode. Until then, my name is Matt George. You've been listening to Locked on Kings, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. 